Welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to have a look at some of the news items. We're going to look at Drew Brees going over 4,400 touchdowns and the absolute clusterfuck that is the Saints offense. We're going to have a little look at the uh, at the Dolphins and question what happens in the post-filled-in world for them. We're going to have a look at the uh, couple of the games from last week, some good, some bad. We're going to look at some questions from our listeners and then we're going to look forward to next week's games and make our picks for week five. Okay, so guys, I suppose the first thing we're going to talk about today uh, has to be the uh, the milestone that Drew Brees passed over. Uh, moving to 400 touchdowns should be a happy day for any quarterback, but given that he's playing in that offense, it can't be too happy a season for him so far. What are your thoughts on both him reaching this milestone and joining the few quarterbacks that have reached it? And uh, secondly, I suppose, how that offense looks and what it means for Drew Brees in the tail end of his career. Well, good for Drew Brees, getting the 400 touchdowns, fair play to him. However, we'll see if he gets any beyond 400. <laughs> like, they're just appalling. And, like, they're, the point, I think the point was, like, was it this, last season we were like, Saints for the Super Bowl. We're like, they, they put a load of money in, they're going to get him the Super Bowl. And it's just like, where is that money gone? Where is it? Like, they're just appalling. They're, they're such bad value for money across that entire team, to be honest. I can't, can't think of another team that spent so much money on so little. Yeah, it's it like obviously it's a great milestone for, for for Drew Brees, and he will I think be remembered as one of the top quarterbacks of his of his, uh, of his time. But yeah, like given what they were looking at, and their 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 offense seems to have regressed every year since that Super Bowl win. And right now, with no Jimmy Graham, with and without to be honest, without any real threat in that tight end position, so it's not even like they've you know got rid of Graham, put somebody in there who can make up for that. And Brees doesn't seem to be on the same page as Cooks. He doesn't seem to be on the same page as uh, the other new guy, Brandon Coleman. It's like there's nobody in that offense that Brees has any trust or connection with at the moment. Even Marcus Colston, maybe, but he's he's you know he, he's not he's past his best. But you look back when they used to have guys like you know Debbie Henderson, Lance Moore, who weren't perhaps the best guys in the world, but guys Brees could trust and and know he could throw to. That's gone from the Saints, and that's why we're seeing Breeze, I think, struggle so much, as well as obviously poor offensive line playing in a defence that just can't stop the other side, so it's all on Breeze to just outscore them. Yeah, he proved that he can outscore Brandon Whedon. Congratulations, that's not much not much of an achievement. So, yeah, in terms of where his the tail end of his legacy goes, I don't think we're going to see um, this sort of level of production be maintained uh, throughout the tail end of his career that he's had earlier, and I think there's... A lot of that has to go to Sean Payton and has to go to the coaches of the Saints. Okay, because this is what I was going to ask you guys. Uh, Breeze famously has provided multiple back-to-back 5,000-plus yard seasons. He has been able to perform even when there wasn't the greatest supporting cast surrounding him. Is this a reflection of what, what, what people would say historically is the point at which quarterbacks start to tail off and start to lose some of their natural skills. We're seeing his injuries uh, flare up again, injuries that he had previously as well. If you remember back to before he was with the New Orleans Saints. This is this is a scenario where we normally see a decline towards the back end. Is this decline based entirely off the front office manoeuvres and the schemes that are in place? Or are we also seeing a deterioration of Breeze himself as a player? Well, I think it's a bit of column A, column B. Because like, like, he's, he's old now. He's older so like obviously there's going to be a decline in his skills. So he's going to he's a bit slower. A bit like I think his arm strength is probably not what it was. His release is a bit slower. But like he's not been helped by the fact that the Saints look like an absolute dumpster fire. Like who was it that Jimmy Graham was tweeting like "Glad you got out, bro" when they got fucking traded there a few weeks back? But like you know when that's the mentality of the players that are leaving, being like "Oh, we're just like being in Nam." Like that's like, <laughs> that's not a good comparison for your franchise. I don't know. I, I think Drew Brees he's getting towards the end of his career, and I think he's maybe. He can't carry things as much as he was as he used to be able to, but like he shouldn't have to. Like he's, he's only like quarterback is an important position, but still, it's a position that relies on other people. Unless you're the Cam Newton, but like he's not Cam Newton. Yeah, does definitely doesn't have the durability of Cam Newton. <laughs> I have a funny feeling that Drew Brees, if he had tried to do that flip into the end zone touchdown, would have ended up in two different pieces on different <laughs> sides of that end zone. Well, we'll see what happens when White guys try to do that because Josh McCown tried it. Maybe literally is beautiful yeah. helicopter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Prime example: White guys can't jump. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose yeah. Like um, it is, as we say, a nice achievement for Breeze, but might be one of the last nice achievements that he has in his career. So we're going to move on to the next news section. Uh, as the NFL said, "Wake up at Wembley." It's finally good to see the NFL talking my language, getting up at two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, but we had our first London game this uh, this week. The Jets flew in, and their toilet paper schema seemed to work fantastically. They managed to absolutely destroy. 
the uh, the Dolphins in a game that I think was far more one sided than the score uh, and the score actually represents, even though the score looks quite one sided. And now, as a response to this, they have gotten rid of Joe Philbin. He's 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 hit the bricks. The chap who looks like he's a general manager or an IBM salesman rather than an NFL head coach and they have replaced him with uh, a new chap who none of us really know particularly that much about Campbell yeah I, I actually to be honest with you I, I'd never heard of him I'm sure there are hardcore fans who, who do know who Campbell is but I, <laughs> I, I I follow the NFL pretty closely I think we all do and we're all mystified by that but often, I suppose it's often the case these sort of interim solutions that are something from inside the organisation you don't necessarily mm. haven't necessarily been at the at the front of it I can see why they perhaps wouldn't want to put either their offensive or defensive coordinator in charge of the yeah. in charge of the team after that I think yeah Philbin I think like, he had to go at this stage it was a bad start season not a bad loss and after like consecutive 8-8 eight eight seasons the team isn't going forward and it isn't playing up to its mm. potential particularly on defence obviously they have Ndamukong Sue, Cameron Wake Olivia Jordan places people like that in their front seven and they can get no penetration now admittedly the Jets do have quite a good O-line but we saw it against teams with bad O-lines like Washington where they could not get anything through there so the, th- the question is it's not even a question about changing the head coach I don't know if that's going to change that much for them the schemes they're running something is completely dysfunctional in that that level of talent is producing this low level of gameplay no, you're right. so I think the defensive coordinator is probably going to be the next to go uh, and then the offense coordinator is going to come under scrutiny as well if Tannehill's play doesn't improve because he's getting hit an awful lot still. And, it, and Brandon Albert went down again, again. Uh, <laughs> at Wembley. Uh, but he's, he seems out, out of sync and out of sorts. And he's not making good decisions and he just doesn't seem comfortable throwing the football. Yeah, what we've heard at the moment is that the, the management has actually given the new head coach uh, personnel control and a decision is expected this evening about whether or not he's going to uh, fire the defensive coordinator as well. Just on what you were saying about them having a lot of talent there and not actually producing, I looked this up earlier today, the Dolphins have currently have $111 million in guaranteed money on that defensive line. And as it stands so far, four games into the season, it has generated one sack and is last place uh, in rush defence, having allowed 642 yards. So over 150 yards on the, on, on the ground a game at the moment. It's, 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 it's very much a, a paying a lot of money for very little uh, production. I think this is the only one that could possibly rival, as, uh, as Dave was saying, the Saints for, for spending a lot and not getting a huge amount out of it. But Dave, looking at this idea of swapping the head coach mid-season, a lot of people say... Look, it has to be done. But the question is, is this something that can actually get success from this team? We're looking at an offense that's, that's regressing, Tannehill that's regressing. What do you think the impact of this change is going to be, if any? See, I'm not, I don't know if in the NFL you can do that well with replacement coaches. The higher level stuff takes such a long time to install in, 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 in training camp. Like if you look at like they have an entire preseason to install things, and the higher level stuff isn't done until much later on the season. I don't know if you can like root and branch change things. So what they're going to be doing is using altered playbook, small changes. So they're going to be pretty much based on what they're already set into this season. So I don't know how much they can actually change there. That's what they can make. They can change some of the personnel groupings, I guess. Like presumably they cross train some of the people. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's a puzzling one. Like Philbin had to go because again, it just seems like it always seems when the organizations are on the down that all these stories come out about like problems within the organization. Yeah. So you hear them, which apparently is an untrue rumour, like loads of insiders from Miami have come out and say it's not true, but you hear rumours about Tannehill insulting the practice squad, and you hear rumours of other kinds of like general upset in the team. Like These things seem to come out, when the team is doing badly, there seems to be a negative vibe around them generally, and I think it's very difficult to arrest that. So maybe personnel alone might get people thinking more positively instead that stop that kind of bickering, but I don't know if, I don't know if play-wise or personnel-wise they can fix it. Yeah, no, we did see actually on the sidelines uh, during the game in London, uh, Philbin coming over to give pointers to players on the sidelines when they were coming off, and then just walking straight past him and ignoring him. So I think there was probably... I know it's it's a very kind of nebulous term that you've lost the locker room, but uh, I think it is a, is it a scenario that I suppose if your head coach is telling you how to do it and you have no faith in what he's what he's saying, I suppose you're not really going to buy into what he's what he's trying to teach you and trying to get trying to get achieved. And if that happens, I suppose there is very little value to him staying on in that position. If you have no trust in the coach and you have no faith in, in what he's calling, and you think you can do better, but also um, if you feel that coach is on the way out anyway, you've got less incentive to stay on his stay on his good side. So I think there's an aspect of that sort of feeds it becomes sort of a feedback loop at that point. The players don't trust the coach; they know the coach is under pressure; they think he's going to go anyway, so they're less likely to cooperate because it's less likely to have ramifications because he's not going to be there in a game or two. No, of course. And I think in the London game, I, I would be very surprised saying the players didn't expect Philbin to be fired at that game or shortly afterwards given the Well it was said before the game I thought that was very unusual in that the Dolphins insiders were like if it's not a blowout win then Philbin's gone yeah so that was came out before the game 
thought that was very unusual because I, I think it would be very unlikely if the Dolphins had blown away the Jets. No. Um, so things that the, the writing was on the wall for him, so maybe that was why when teams in the NFL get dysfunctional, they get very dysfunctional. I think, I think the Dolphins are very dysfunctional. So we'll see if the personnel change can fix that. But I, I wouldn't be too confident. Uh, it, it may do just on that base. Like you said, I think I, I agree with most of what you're saying, but I think there is, yeah, perhaps an aspect of just having somebody they might, players might be willing to give more of a chance to. Mm-hmm. And maybe Ndamukong Su will uh, get more sacks. And I, I, I will say, actually, he did do a very, very good job of kicking off uh, Ryan Patrick's helmet when nobody was looking. Oh, it did so. He's still, yeah. he still got that skill going for him. But still yeah. got that dirty streak. Yeah, but uh, I think that frustration, I imagine. Oh, uh, yeah. playing, playing a factor in that it just yeah they have already generated one sack but they haven't generated any penalties for, he usually gets fined by like $50,000 by this time of season mm. so he's I was surprised nobody actually caught the caught but he was on the sidelines after tackle he, he saw the replay he kicked him in the head like yeah. I don't know well, I suppose just to wrap that up uh, as, as, as we were saying earlier chaps uh, best of luck Philbin farewell and thanks for all the fish So we had a couple of games this week that we uh, that we actually enjoyed, which was nice. Uh, so we're going to have a look at a few of those to kick off now, uh, just reflecting on last week's games. So uh, I suppose we'll kick off with the, with the St. Louis at Arizona at 24-22. I think surprise to, uh, to most people. Arizona looking like a powerhouse. St. Louis coming out and looking surprisingly good. Uh, as Harry always said, they're either one or the other. They're very much a Jekyll and Hyde team. Uh, he, he, he refuses to involve them in any of his parlay betting because he just don't know what to expect. So Harry, what did you think? Well, that's exactly it. Like, what the fuck are the Rams? They are either the best or the worst team in the NFL. And it's interesting because before this game, uh, Terry Matthew uh, was being interviewed and said that the Rams, why aren't the Rams winning the Super Bowl? Okay, that might be some hyperbole, but like, he, he had a point in that this team has an incredibly talented roster, uh, particularly on defense, is capable of playing incredibly well and running really uh, suitable schemes to their talents some weeks, and then other weeks turns up and looks rudderless, lost, can't generate anything on offense, and struggles on defense. I was, in, I was very, very impressed with how they played against, against Arizona. Um, I think, again, we saw the, what they're capable of when they played to their best, which was a smothering display uh, from, from, the, from the front seven that put a huge amount of pressure on, causing to, able to cause turnovers on the back end, able to shut down Larry Fitzgerald, who's been in fantastic form uh, recently, even with uh, Floyd now coming back onto a regular snap count, we're able to uh, take him away, and we're able to cause problems for the run game as well. And then on the offensive side of the ball, um, Foles looked looked accurate. He looked solid. They got uh, uh, Todd Gurley back, who looked uh, sorry back. I got him in for the first time, his first real game, and uh, he looked he looked phenomenal, particularly towards the end of the game. He was oh, able yeah. to grind up first down after first down after first down. Arizona had no chance of getting the ball back. So in the second half alone, he had 136 yards. That is just crazy. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't know what to make of St. Louis. This was one of the best like team performances we've seen against a, a good team, but they consistently held Arizona to field goals mm. in situations where Arizona had been able to. And that was, I think I think Arizona ended up with four or five field goals at the end of the game, which is, is mad. So yeah. they were able to stop drives where it mattered, and they were able to run their own offense um, as well as they needed to to win the game. But you never know; you just don't know what's going to happen with them next week. Uh, just on this, I, I noticed. Particularly from the Arizona side, I still think Arizona are an excellent team, and I do right. think that they're going to be right up there at the very end of this and end of the season and into the postseason. They made some sloppy mistakes here. They had three turnovers, uh, one of which was a pick in the end zone. These are the type of mistakes that it, when you have a close game like this, a game decided by two points, is going to be the decider. Dave, like, do you think this is a scenario of St. Louis outplaying their ability, or is this Arizona underplaying theirs? I don't know. I think I think St. Louis performed about their ability I think, this week. Like when you like Todd Gurley was just a beast, like absolutely monstrous. And like it's very hard to think of who on the St. Louis team played poorly this week. I think Arizona got unlucky. I think they didn't get the rub of green in a couple of scenarios. Well, no, like St. Louis are pretty ridiculous. But like I think I don't know. I, I think they both played to about where they are. I think St. Louis. I think maybe a St. Louis on form range is a little bit better currently. Okay, fair enough. I would I would disagree with that I think Arizona on form are better than St. Louis, but I do think St. Louis put in an incredible performance this I, week. I do think that the Arizona can be better than this, but I think a lot of that was just the disruption St. Louis are causing up front, like that pick in the end zone. It wasn't a well judged throw, but it was a throw that was made, you know, against other teams. They would have come down with a touchdown there. Yeah. Um, and I think you have to credit the St. Louis defensive backs that. You also have to credit the pressure that was on Palmer no, and the pressure at the front. So they sort of were able to. Yeah, Arizona can be better, but I think you have to credit St. Louis a bit for why they weren't. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, the next game we're going to have a look at now is uh, Cleveland Browns at the San Diego Superchargers. Uh, this is a game that ended up at uh, 27-30, uh, finishing in an a, a end-of-game field goal, crushing poor young David's dreams. Uh, so, David, what did you think about this? Uh, was it a fortunate scenario, or is it something you've felt relegated to now? 
this was just the most Browns game. It was just <laughs> as a Cleveland Browns fan of many years, this is basically what I expect now every Sunday. Like it's just like you go into a season thinking, all right, this year we could be okay. You've got to spend a lot of money on defense. Defense could be good, and our defense is the thirty-second ranked defense in the league. Everyone's like, oh yeah, if we can keep teams below like twenty-four, if we can score at like twenty-four points, like everyone's like, oh, if we can get like twenty-four points a game, that'd be really good. Like our offense is terrible. We get twenty-four points, we're doing really well. Like Joshua Cowan's not that good. Um, how are we going to get points? Well, if we can keep, the, if we can get like twenty-four points, we should keep teams below like twenty points, and we should win. Which is not happening in any game because we consistently outscored what like we need, we think we should be able to do. And our defense has just shot the bed consistently. Like Joe Hayden last week, <laughs> nearly got injured, but he was appalling last week. He was uh, scratched this week, and like towards the end of the game, we just didn't have the rotation or the depth and defensive backs there. That last drive should never have been given up all those yards. Like they had like a fifty-yard run or something. Like it was just like, oh, what the fuck is happening here? And <laughs> um, like it was just an absolute, just everything that could go wrong has gone, could have gone wrong, went wrong. Like there's some positives, and um, that touchdown by um, Steve Johnson, yes, he was looked good. We doing a lot more passing to the running backs this time around than we had them last year. Gary Barnage was our unlikely star on offense, which was yeah. weird as hell. And um, McCown right. looked like he can manage the offense and look confident enough. Mm. The Manziel chants are definitely going to get louder though because we're just losing games this, over and over. This was something I was going to say now because we we discussed last week and I think the week beforehand as well, but last week a little bit more in depth that we feel that probably we know what the ceiling is with McCowan uh, and we're, we're not, we don't know how, how high the ceiling is with, with, with Johnny football. Well, I think we both agree that, the, that maybe the, the floor of Johnny might be a bit lower. But you know what you're getting if you're not starting him and that's probably going to be a seven or eight win season uh, if, 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 if things go, go well. I would see this as a slight negative because it was, and as much as you sound very depressed and sad, I think it was quite a decent performance by the Browns overall. It was a bit, a bit unfortunate towards the end; they made a couple of mistakes, but overall it was an okay, not an okay game from them. And I think that's going to encourage uh, Farmer to that his decision to to to, to put McCowan in is the right one, and I think it'll delay bringing back Johnny. One thing that I would like to say, because uh, it, 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 it struck me as interesting, uh, your superstar wide receiver that you signed, Dwayne Bowe, had his first pass thrown at him, which he proceeded to drop, and then went off to cash his nine million guaranteed. Yeah, I'll be I interested mean, to see how he progresses through the rest of the season. I honestly think that if this season goes badly, Farmer is gone. Like you spent so much money on that guy, and he has been injured, and now shit. And now maybe I think there's rumours he's injured again. Yeah. So like that's was it like sixty million with like nine million guaranteed. Nine million guaranteed. Just yeah. obscene. He should have been caught in training camp. Like we should have kept Terrell Pryor yeah. and caught him because Terrell Pryor looks raw as fuck, but there's has upsides. the potential to maybe be good. Whereas Dwayne Bell was appalling. Now what we haven't talked about here, Harry, is San Diego. Uh, I know that you kind of think that they're looking quite good at the moment. Uh, what were your thoughts on them, and 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 what what did you make of them in this game? You know, I can see the reason Dave's a bit down about the, the Cleveland performance, but they, they, the game was winnable for them, uh, even even not playing particularly well on defense, um, which is a little bit worrying, I think, for San Diego. But I think we saw more of what they, how they should be playing, um, in, a, in a lot of ways. Like I think, for example, like that Woodhead touchdown catch, which was, was sixty-five or seventy yards, something yeah. along those lines, very very long. Rivers just getting a little more comfortable into that, and you know, not trying to force throws, getting to those sort of check, check down options because you've got one of the one of the best receiving backs in the league, mm. to be honest. Like, and he had a couple of lovely that. little touch passes into, into, well. um, into Keenan Allen. Yeah, well he's, the connection with Keenan Allen is, is developing well after all. So he sort of hit a bit of a bit of a mm. rocky patch last season. We're seeing, I think, more of the potential that Allen showed in his in his rookie year. Mm. The issue for San Diego, I think, is still. The offensive line play is still poor. The defense doesn't have at the moment a real identity to it, and we're still still you know we gave up still gave up some, some pretty big plays against Cleveland. Still, oh yeah, weren't where they should have been there. But I think we're seeing more of the more flashes of their potential as a team here. I think when they get Antonio Gates back next week, that's going to be a big big deal for them. It'll make Rivers I think an awful lot more comfortable in there. Yeah, and I think he'll start playing better to his level. Now they do still need the defense to step up, and they do still mm. need the O line to become cohesive. Yeah, and I mean they were lucky, obviously, that they mess up at the end with the the, the field goal. Yeah, that was I think that they'll take they'll take this win. I think there's mm-hmm. something to build on there that they, they can take into their next slate of games. Just an interesting note on what you were saying there as well with the O line and, and the defense not looking fantastic. I think they were down two or three offensive linemen during this game, and both their cornerbacks that they were planning to start came out during the game as well. So they were running backups in those spots for a week, and this was a concern I had for San Diego going into the season. I think they've got a decent roster, but. They 
they've got a decent 22-man roster. I don't think they've got the depth underneath to cover things whenever injuries start to crop up. And it's worrying to see this level or uh, this number of players missing time in a game this early in the season for a team that doesn't necessarily have that much depth. Okay, our final good game of, uh, of, of, the, of the week is going to be the Minnesota Vikings at the Denver Broncos. Very close game, uh, ended up running 20-23. to 23. We have a lot of games that were within a field goal this week, uh, which is probably why it looked like there was a lot more missed field goals than there were. But, what were our thoughts on this? I think I'll go to Dave on this one first. Interesting to see a, a Peyton Manning-led Denver team that has a beastly defence and doesn't look that good on offence. It's, it's unusual. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know, they've, they've just been, the defence has been amazing, really. I suppose they put, a, they put a lot of money in it after this. After that, they got destroyed by the Seahawks, I guess. They thought, we need to spur up our defence, but this year, their defence is beastly. Yeah. These are pretty much number one across most categories, I think. Mm. And that run game is starting to get going for them as yeah. well. Which is interesting, because well, there's a lot of people, and there's been a lot of discussion about this, uh, saying that this is a team that's much more set up to make a run in the playoffs because they can run the ball, because they have a stronger defence. But one of the main reasons that they're going to be able to run the ball and stuff like that is because of the fact that they've got a weakened Peyton Manning under centre and they're having to move towards that type of game. Is this honestly one of the first times we're going to say your quarterback, your superstar quarterback, is not as good as he was and that means you have a better chance in the playoffs? You know, I think we did see... In last season, even a little bit of the season before that, particularly last season, we did see the the beginnings of this towards the end of the season move towards a more uh, run-heavy play style. I think there was a realization that was going to need to be the case um, just to take the pressure off Manning because yeah, he he can't make throws like he's still very good, but he can't make throws like he used to. And I think they're benefiting from what they have in the backfield now. CJ Anderson um, is is looking pretty like pretty solid. Hillman, you know, he's not every down back, but he's again he's a guy who can, they can get able to mix it up with him. So yeah, they're they're, they're certainly looking stronger in that aspect but at the moment it, it doesn't even matter like their run game looks good but it's not outstanding Peyton Manning is good but he's no longer outstanding it, it really doesn't matter because their defence is what is winning them games we saw it pretty much every single week although the offence seems to have been incrementally improving it is just guys like DeMarcus Ware guys like TJ Ward Akeem Tlaib are playing at a really 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 high level and the defence looks organised it looks set it knows exactly what it's doing it's forcing turnovers it's forcing three and outs it's also given them a really good field position, though. Yep. Like, hey, Manning can't make the long throws that he used to, but maybe he doesn't need to because they're getting the ball back on like their 30s and the 40. Like, or, you know, sometimes like they're in the, in the opposition half. Okay, so now we're going to move on to uh, what we like to call the uh, dumpster fireside chats. Uh, three terrible games that we saw this week. The first one we're going to have a quick look at is the Baltimore-Pittsburgh game, Thursday Night Football this week. This was abysmal uh, on all fronts, especially because Harry looked to be entirely right about what he said about Pittsburgh last week and he's been insufferable about it since. But yeah, so 23-20 to 20, uh, in what was essentially a horrendous cripple fight. Harry, do you want to tell us why you're so happy about being right? Yeah, well, it's what I, it's what I said last week. It's it's style of offence and how Mike Vick fits into it. Now, he wasn't as bad as I thought he would be, but my expectations for him were pretty much rock bottom. It's a question of like what he's generating and in terms of running an offence isn't predictable, in terms of generating yards for play, in terms of being able to complete simple passes. And we saw them come out for a series and try and just keep it simple, get Vic comfortable, and he was missing. He was missing simple throws. He looked off-kilter. He didn't look comfortable with those around, and he didn't look like you know he had full mastery of the playbook. And that's, you know, that's understandable but it, it, it is what I expected with that said you know it wasn't just all on Vic um, Antonio Brown dropped a potential touchdown pass which you just don't see happen these days um, the defence was, was poor uh, particularly against the run looked very very porous yeah it, uh, Vic did what I thought he would do but I don't think he, I don't think he got as much help as he could have and it, it was a winnable game for, for Pittsburgh did you say winnable game at one point they were 20-7 to 7 up in this game yeah, it was a very yeah, exactly like they, they, they had the chance to throw and also they missed, missed field goals as well obviously yeah. uh, Scobie being cut as a result of that they had so many, so many chances to win it. And the thing is, even with that missed field goal, though, again it comes back to Vic. There was a, you know, there was a, there was a pass on fourth down that had Vic completed. It, yeah, it, it was, it was just uninspiring from Pittsburgh in terms of adapting to Los Rossberg, which, in fairness, is something they should probably be used to by now because he yeah. seems to get, he seems to miss a few weeks nearly every year. And then on the other side, you know, uh, Baltimore lost Steve Smith and. Yeah, Forsett had a decent game, but other than that, no improvement really yeah. from what we're seeing, and they were fortunate to fortunate to get the win. Yeah, we're looking at a spot here where Scobie missed two field goals in the last three minutes of this game, which could have finished it off for them. That's fine. Like we said, they gave up a 20-7 to lead at one point. They very much had this in their control and let it slip. 
just to just further on the whole Scobie uh, scenario, this is a this is a kicker that is costing them three point four million in guaranteed money this year. He's already missed four field goals and an extra point this year, and it probably would have been a lot more if they just kept going for extra points. But they have such a lack of faith in him, they just moved away. And I think when you're talking about all these fourth down maneuvers they had, it's because they had no faith in him at all. We have. Michael Vick running sweeps out of the backfield on 4th and 10 because they don't trust a kicker to do his job that they're paying him millions of dollars to do. I do think that there are positives to it. Vick did have good sections. I think, as much as I said it's a terrible game, I was only watching the condensed version, so probably a little bit easier for me. I find it relatively exciting because there was some fun bits in it. I'm going to turn to turn to Dave and I ask him, like, is this a scenario of Pittsburgh had this and they lost it or that Baltimore brought something to the table more than we expected? Because they also haven't been very good this year. Well, Pittsburgh have been good. The unusual thing about this, this Pittsburgh team versus every Pittsburgh team so far that I've, that I've ever seen is that their defense is terrible. Like, it's really not good at all. And I think that they how they succeed, succeeded so far has been by relying on their ridiculous offense to outscore, like, to score another touchdown beyond whatever the other team can put up. I think that got pressurized then when Roethlisberger is not in because the offense just wasn't clicking. They weren't getting the, the easy completions they usually would get. They weren't getting all the touchdowns they would usually get. If you, yeah, like, the thing is, if you've ever got a kicker that you, you can't rely on, you can't just have the the scoreboard taken over. You can't just do that. I think that actually probably was a huge part of why they didn't win because they, they had to just keep throwing away field position, throwing yeah. away good, scorable positions. And, and they left the red zone without points a lot. Yeah, well, well that was kind of interesting what we're saying about kind of two offences here that were kind of struggling quite a bit. The Ravens, after Steve Smith went out, uh, the two wide receivers that they were playing at that point had, up until that stage in the NFL, had two catches entirely between the two of them that that was that was the skill level of the wide receivers that they have on this team yet somehow at that point they got back into this game Ravens not looking great on offense but somehow managing to pull it out is impressive the one thing that Ravens normally had is a relatively stout defense this is the first game Le'Veon Bell had a great game here at 150 odd yards or whatever but this is the first 100 yard running back performance that they've allowed in the last 29 games like this is a defense that is meant to be significantly better than this and was it a case because like I said I was watching the the condensed version so I didn't get as much to look at kind of overall performance and adjustments that they were making was it, was it a fact that they just reacted and and meld themselves to go against this Pittsburgh de- or offense or was it that Baltimore somehow managed to start firing particularly well with an ill-equipped offense I think it was a combination of Pittsburgh's defense is not great and also got tired. Um, so I think they started like giving up plays that maybe they wouldn't have done. If, they're not great, but they were still kind of fresh. They were like giving their best shot. Also, I feel like Pittsburgh were trying to run the clock. And then when they were trying to run the clock, they just, just couldn't do it. And, uh, like Whatever little plays they were trying to make, both were able to snuff out. Well, Pittsburgh don't really run the clock normally when Roethlisberg is in. They just keep scoring touchdowns. Like, that's, that's how they run the clock. Like that 49ers game. Yeah, like they just keep they just keep scoring touchdowns, whereas they just didn't seem to be able to just get downs, like first downs, and that, I think that was what it was. I don't know, Pittsburgh's whole philosophy of how they wanted to win games this season just didn't work out for them. I think they didn't have a plan B. Fair enough. Yeah, what did we see? Oh, go ahead. I'd say that. Yeah, I think, I think that, that, that's when you look at that, again, that quick hit, short passing game that you want to do to run down the clock to get those easy completions because they're expecting you to run the ball. That's Again, that's the part of the scheme that Vic doesn't fit, yeah. and that's what hurt them. They do need to revisit, yeah, as Dave says, exactly how do we win games now? What do we think uh, for these two teams uh, the next couple of weeks are going to look like? Because obviously now a lot of people are saying this is this is the, I think saviour is a bit strong, but that's the word that a lot of them are throwing around, the saviour of their season, that they're not 0-4, that they've gotten a win here, that maybe this can start them on a bit of momentum. They've... They've signed Brian Quick, I believe, uh, <laughs> to help bolster that wide receiver core. Like, where do we see Baltimore going from here, and where do we see Pittsburgh going from here? And in terms of Pittsburgh, I suppose up until Ben Roethlisberger comes back. I actually quite like Brian Quick. I think he's a he's a handy little player, and I think he's been very underutilized in St. Louis. I don't think he's going to be a huge game changer for him, but I think it's a nice pickup uh, that certainly helps the depleted receiving core, especially now with Plus Campanaro gone and now Steve Smith going down. The one positive for that from that game for Baltimore, and I think this is going to be critical to whether or not they can turn this around, is we finally got a good game out of Justin Forsett. Yeah. If they can establish that run game, take the pressure off Flacco, who is throwing to nobodies, and you know he's playing okay, but he's, he's Joe Flacco. He's, mm. he's fine. He's he's an ad, perfectly adequate quarterback. If they can actually keep establishing that run game, if their O-line can open up those gaps and force that can actually start finding room, getting them the ability to control the clock, to grind the first downs, to make the opponents have to come in and fear that run, they're going to be 
okay. Uh, not worrying, but they're going to be okay. If they can't do that and the four set plays like they played in the first three weeks, and if the O-line run blocking is like in the first three weeks, Baltimore are going to continue to struggle and struggle badly and lose games against teams that they theoretically should be able to beat. Okay, Dave, what do you think of Pittsburgh? I don't know about Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a great imponderable at the moment because they, I don't think they can fix their defense. It's just a structural issue. Mm. And then it just becomes whether they can maybe redo, rejig things a bit to make it more Vic-friendly, maybe. Yeah. But, like, I don't know. We'll see. They've got players coming back now. They've got big-name players coming back. Mm. And maybe that will be enough. Maybe they can just hand it to Levy and Bell and he can just run the entire the offense. Just wildcat. They should just wildcat it. That's what I would do. Mm. Man, actually, a wildcat with uh, kind of like, with both Vic and uh, and Lev Bell in the backfield going either way. Like Vic's sure. not Vic lost a bit of his a bit of his uh, a bit of his touch on his passing, but he's still fast as hell. As we as we saw on that failed sweep move on the fourth down. Uh, okay, fair enough. Let's move on to the next game. Uh, this is Philadelphia at Washington, twenty to twenty three. Terrible, terrible game. Game of overt racists against accused racist coaches. <laughs> what did we think of this? Apart from oh God, please can we change the channel? I think it's probably the death knell for the Chip Kelly quote unquote philosophy. Absolutely. Um, I think it hasn't worked this season. I think his belief that the system is more important than his players doesn't seem to have worked out because he sort of trashed all his star players, traded them away, cut them, and now the team looks like a team that doesn't have any game winners. It looks like a team that doesn't have anyone who's going to be like put their hand up and be like, we're going to win this for you. If the, the structures there don't seem to be getting them the results they want and then they don't have players that can break structure or when the back's against the wall, they don't have anyone who's going to be like, I'm going to get a first down here. And they don't seem to be able to do it. Like Sam Bradford doesn't look great. The, the whole, all the players that, they, the, that they've traded for don't look great. Like DeMarco Murray is giving out about his carries saying, oh, we should get more carries, but yeah. he's, he's been awful. Their most successful game on the ground has been when he wasn't playing. Is yeah. it time for the Sanchez? That's the question. It's never, never. It's never time like, for this. I think that'll, I think that'll be one final indignity for Eagles <laughs> fans this season. Um, it just looks pretty unrelentingly grim for them. I, I, I'd be very surprised. I think Chip maybe might get another two or three games, but I'd be very surprised if they don't. I think his season's getting pretty hot. Chip Kelly has a philosophy of uh, time of possession doesn't matter, uh, which seemed to work beforehand when he was having a high tempo, high scoring offense, but that doesn't seem to be happening. The, the Washington team managed to hold the football for 41 minutes of this game. What we saw as a result of that was a very tired defence that was getting torn apart by Kirk Cousins. Like, what are your thoughts on this, Harry? Is this, is this just purely Chip Kelly imploding and seeing the tail end of it, or are Washington a slightly better team than we think? You know, I think Chip Kelly is a little bit like the read option. When he came in, it was people aren't, you know, they're not used to, haven't seen it before, they haven't really coached to. Um, this goes back to something Dave said about something something different earlier, which is very true. It takes time to change how you play your schemes and what you deal with. You can't just week to week make immediate adjustments. For Chip Kelly now, firstly, people are figure, figuring out what he's doing. Secondly, as you said, he's got rid of a load of superstar players who were quite good, were relatively, you know, fitted into a scheme, worked in a scheme, replacing people like. DeMarco Murray and Sam Bradford who don't. Also, in terms of the high tempo thing, their centre, Jason Kelsey, has been a flag machine this year. He gets called on holding so, so much and that breaks up what you're trying to do. And it's not just been him, it's been a whole O-line, but he's been particularly culpable. He's also the only O-line member they have left sitting on that O-line after the injuries this week from last year. He's the only recurring member now. He is, and that's that's worrying when he's your like your your, your leader. Yeah, um, uh, Peters went down as well. Yeah, but you know, so, so the problem for Chip, I think, is, is happening on a couple of levels. But fundamentally, the big big thing is even with all of that happening, if you are going to run a scheme that relies on high tempo, you have to make sure your line is disciplined. You have to make sure you're, you can actually keep that tempo up, and you have to make sure you have players who fit that. You can't just spend a load of money on a guy or trade a first round pick for a guy and be like, he'll work, he's great, he'll get his head around it. It doesn't just it doesn't just happen. So the problem is you have Bradford, who doesn't seem to be particularly comfortable there, throwing to guys who are quite mediocre, to be honest with you. And then you have a run game where DeMarco Murray is not playing A behind a good line, B not playing the way we know he can play, and where Chip Kelly is too stubborn to just start making a complete timeshare between him and Sprawls and Matthews. Sprawls and Matthews, who seem to, when we've seen them actually play, fit the offense they're playing a lot better. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it does it, it is on Chip Kelly's head, and I agree with Dave, that if he doesn't start turning things around quickly... When you're losing games to a, a poor Washington team that didn't do anything particularly spectacular this week, you're you're in trouble. And when we're talking about that failing that failing offense approach and people adjusting to it, interesting enough, we discussed the Dolphins earlier and their their regression on offense. Bill Lazor was touted as being someone who was going to bring in the Chip Kelly style offense into Miami, and it hasn't taken there either. 
Okay, guys, and now we're going to move on to our last terrible dumpster fire game. Uh, Detroit at Seattle. This was Monday night football. A 10-13 affair, yet again within a field goal. This was one that I think the largest story coming out of the back end was a horrendous mistake on the part of the, of the uh, officials at the tail end, potentially costing the game. Aside from disappointment, what do we feel about this one? Detroit are Cleveland's soulmates. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's how I feel about it. Um, I feel very sorry for the Lions and the felt rust belt team. <laughs> like, they grounded it. That's what they did. They grounded it against them. a Seattle side that do not look good. I was like, oh, Seattle this year, they're going to be good. They got the Super Bowl. They're going to be good again. They are not good. They are not good at all. No, they're just not playing the way that everyone expected them to be. What did you think of this one, Harry? Detroit have, I think, got away with it for a while. Um, Stafford has just been inconsistent. The team has just, you know, been inconsistent in general but he's always had that disability to make those incredible throws get it up to Megatron there and he, he has started targeting Megatron a fair bit in the last few weeks but something's not working either Calvin Johnson's lost a step or Stafford's just throwing mechanics are continually getting worse what I think is interesting is or not interesting very telling I think in this and this I think is also something that's actually true when we talk about a team like Philadelphia or like what Bill Lazor's done in, in Miami is that you have a thing that works, but you can't become predictable. And we had those comments you know, a couple of weeks ago from Golden Tate being like, man, it's like the defense were, you know, they were calling our plays, they were in our huddles, they knew what we were going to do. It's exactly that. Detroit have nothing that seems to surprise any of their opponents this season. And when you've got a defense, that, like Seattle's defense looked reasonably good this week, Cam Chancellor was back, they knew what they were going to do, and Detroit couldn't find a way to get openings. They couldn't get going on the ground, they couldn't get anything completed through the air, because it was a really... Uh, simple, it's just like a simple offense they're running and once teams figure that out they just got nowhere to go and it turns out they're just relying on having a guy who will just forever be the best wide receiver in the league it's like well you know at a certain point maybe he's not going to have quite that level anymore and you can't yeah. just rely on being able to hump it up to him and the run game didn't, didn't look good either Amir Abdullah was quite disappointing and mm. um, they do miss I think having a guy like Joyke Bell as an option in there when he's injured because he can't you know he can play a little differently he can at least you've got a couple of different options going out of the backfield whereas now it's like oh we've got a couple of fast guys that yeah. we're going to send outside and the officiating call obviously did decide the game in the end so Seattle were poor enough themselves on offence that it yeah. didn't you know they, did, they didn't blow in I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a huge amount of positives from this offensively certainly for Seattle but yeah no Detroit's offence there's nothing surprising there and teams are just able to know what they're going to do and take away their weapons interesting enough I think what you've hit on there is quite a common theme in a lot of the a lot of the teams that are struggling at the moment is that they found something that they're good at and they've decided to specialise in on that without considering the fact that you need to disguise those and draw people away from that I think actually that might make for an interesting discussion maybe next week a little bit more in depth about a couple of teams that have had that happen What we're going to move on to now is we're going to have a little look at questions from some of our listeners. We've got three uh, this week. Uh, Our first question comes from uh, Roland Fitzpatrick, I believe. Uh, He asked us, are the Falcons legit Super Bowl contenders? Roland, you're 26 years old. Stop using the term legit. But more importantly, guys, what do we think? Falcons, too legit to quit, yo? No. No, I... I wouldn't think the Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl. I think they'll get. I think they'll do really well in the regular season. I think they'll probably get twelve wins, maybe. Yeah. Like I think I think probably. Let's let's take this in sections, right? Are the Falcons a playoff team? I'm going to say yes. I think there's almost no way they can't miss the playoffs with their schedule as it stands. Yeah, I think yeah. you're looking at a team that has an incredibly soft schedule, uh, will probably win its division or be one game off winning its division. It's probably, will probably beat, beat the Panthers when it comes down to it, though. I'm gonna give um, you but it's also looked good because they're playing bad teams. Exactly, and on that, I'm going to give you an interesting prediction now. I think, I think the Falcons might start this season 9 or 10 and 0. I had a look at their schedule, right? So obviously they've played the Eagles, the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Texans so far. So not exactly a murderer's row at the moment. Uh, here are their next couple of games: the Redskins, at the Saints, at the Titans, the Bucks, at the 49ers, the Colts, and then they hit the Vikings. And it's the Vikings that I think might give them their first loss. Following that, it's at the Bucks, at the Panthers, at the Jags, Panthers at home, and Saints at home. I honestly think the only games they'll lose will be against the Panthers. I think they'll lose maybe one of the games against the Panthers. I honestly think they could actually probably win the rest of those. 
I think I think maybe I, the Vikings as well. Yeah, the, the, there's there's uh, there's there's four games I've put down as not almost certain wins on this list. That is the Vikings because I think they might suffer a little bit running against Adrian Peterson if he's hitting a bit of form. But that said, that is a relatively one-dimensional team, and another one we can have a chat about next week on the focused offensive side of things. I think yes, the Panthers are the team in this section that I think will be able to take a game or two off them, and then potentially I've, I've just picked one of the Bucks games or something, just like because you know like they're gonna they're gonna make a mistake one week or they're going to be tired or someone might get injured but like we're, we're looking at 12 13 14 wins here for this team but i think if there's a i think if there's a trap game for them and genuine i think if there's a trap game for this team the trap game is going to be jacksonville could be yeah jacksonville are riding into while not great form they are they are competitive a lot more so than they have been in recent years yeah, like there's some team that will, 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 i can see causing ups against Falcons, <laughs> but they're definitely going to win 10 yeah they're going to win yeah. sorry 12 12 11, 12, 13 games out of that Yeah, size, it's right. ridiculous. And the, the, so that means they'll get the wild card then because they'll have just won so many games. Yeah. So yeah. that means it'll probably be them and the Panthers just because their schedules are so fucking easy. Well, this is this is the problem though. It's like, because uh, I, I had a quick look at the... Because you're saying wild cards, you reckon the Panthers are going to take it over? I'm not sure if they will. The Panthers have a far tougher schedule than these chaps do. Now, I know we said the Seahawks aren't great, but the Seahawks are a team that the Panthers have to play. Green Bay are a, are a team that they have to play. They have to play the Cowboys after Tony Romo and Des Bryant are due to be back. They have games that they can drop on their schedule a lot more often than yeah. they would than the Falcons can. And if they half the games with the Panthers, I see the Falcons taking it over the Panthers, even though the Panthers, in my opinion, while not fantastic, are the better team in this scenario. So I think uh, I think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think it's only at the playoffs they're going to properly hit a bit of competition. And I don't know. Mm. Mm. That said, that said, like it could it could be a scenario where they end up uh, playing whatever person comes out of the clusterfuck that is the NFC West. Is it no East? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then God knows what team is going to come out of that mess. So like they could win one, but like I don't see them. I don't see this being a team that could challenge uh, a Green Bay. I'm not even sure they could challenge a Seahawks in poor form at the moment. I don't think they're that particularly good and I think the Seahawks are the kind of team that even if they're not performing fantastically can round into form for the playoffs and things like that like my take on this is they're definitely going to make the playoffs but I don't honestly see them getting beyond the first game or so yeah, cause like, I mean I, I can see them like you know I don't think they're probably, probably not going to be more than two seed but you know if they end up is a three or four seed end up playing somebody from the from the east or end up playing the Panthers with yeah. a wild card they could but they won't make the championship game no no that's fair enough that's fair enough so there you go Ronan uh, no that's the answer uh, our second question comes in from uh, is it Dicker is this one yeah Dicker so Dicker wanted to know uh, does Colin Kaepernick even know how to football what's going on in San Francisco does Jed York want to see the world burn just want to see the world burn uh, <laughs> what do we reckon guys I think this is I think this is an unpopular opinion here I think Kaepernick can still be a good quarterback. Maybe not in San Francisco, but I think he can be a good quarterback. I think the problem is that he's got no one around him, so his O-line is bad, his wide receivers are bad, Carlos High has not been what we want, and his game is that he can run, and then his run threat opens up passing options, right? But then, he's the only thing they have on offense, so they can't have him run, because he'll get injured. So he can't run. Which means, and it, most of his <laughs> offense. So most of his offense this weekend was still him running, but it's because plays are breaking down, and it's like, what am I going to do? I'm supposed to better run. So most of their offense was generated by him running, which he's not supposed to do. And they've obviously put in his playbook, he's not supposed to run, but he's had to do anyway because his team is terrible. So um, yeah, I don't know. And like, there's just been the whole team. It just the offense just looks messy. It just looks messy. It looks like people don't know what they're doing. Like people are obviously running wrong routes. He doesn't seem like he knows what. There's where people are going, and it just—it's it's not not been fun. If you look at how bad Andrew Luck has been because of his surrounding cast, and we know Andrew Luck is a good quarterback. I think if you put Kaepernick into a system where he has some protected run plays, where he has some reaction stuff, where he has some throws he's got to make, and he's got a running back that he can hand off to, I think he'd be fine. I think he'd be, like, I think he's like he's Andy Dalton esque. He'll run your offense for you pretty well at an average level. He's he's just about where you want to be with franchise quarterback. I think that San direct problem in San Francisco is the rest of the team. Are appalling, and who could have seen that coming? Since they retired or left yeah. all of their team. Yeah, you've got you've got forty eight of a fifty two man roster retiring. Like it's it's a it's a problem. Oh, that's certainly what it felt like during the off season. Anyway, uh, retiring or just giving up. The, my personal favorite retirement from it was the chap who retired, but not necessarily for good. Just at least the next year or so till he's out of his contract with the 49ers <laughs> and then he might come back. Uh, what do you reckon, Harry? Can Colin Kaepernick even football? 
Yeah, you know, I think he can football. Um, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be quite as positive as Dave. And I think there's issues with, you know, Kaepernick's mechanics and with his vision sometimes. But I think he's, I think he's fine. And I think he's got some things he's very, very good at. He can throw a very good deep ball. He can run around extremely well. And this is probably historically, well, historically, recent, recent years, rather, the Niners have actually done quite well against the Packers because they struggled to contain the dual threat thing. But that just isn't happening at the moment for them. Yeah. I think, you know, I think this comes back to the, the, sort of the latter part of the question, that there is, and this is, again, something we've touched on before, dysfunctional organisations. Jed York does not know, like, he's running this as a business. He wants to make money off this. He's, you know, the big new stadium, all these big moves. But he wants yes men. He wants compliance. And that's why he's what you see with the general manager. And that's what you see with the appointment of Jim Tomsula when they got rid of Harbaugh, yeah. who's a guy who has no rep, who's not going to stand up to me, who is just going to cause no problems and do what I want. And that's what Tomsula isn't... Has, I've seen nothing from this team that indicates that he was ready to be elevated to be a head coach. Yeah. And I think a lot of the... And then, of course, the problems with the GM as well being totally subservient to, to yeah. York. Again, leads to that total... Obviously, they had very bad luck with all the retirements. Everyone was being like, I just don't want any part of this anymore. Organizational dysfunction has an impact on that because um, you're not getting in players you need. You're not replenishing in positions that you've lost adequately. So, yes, Kaepernick is struggling. No, Kaepernick isn't this bad. But it's a question of the supporting cast from the players on the field right up to the top of this organization. There's nobody here who's really knows how to win a football game, and a lot of people who just don't seem to care. Fair enough. It, se- it seems that we have kind of a, a graduation as we move along. Dave seems to think he's pretty good, but the supporting cast are the problem. Harry seems to think he's okay, and yes, the supporting cast are an issue. I think the supporting cast is an issue as well, but I also don't think that he can football particularly well. My problem is I think he is one of the most physically gifted people who've played the position in recent years. I think he has a cannon for an arm. He can run. He's, he's, he, is, he is a specimen of an athlete. The problem I see is that when they brought him in and when he had so much success, obviously he had a great surrounding cast, but also they were drip-feeding him a playbook and he didn't have to make as many reads. He didn't have as much difficulty trying to find players, which is, to a certain extent, dependent on the surrounding cast. But the problem is you see him processing things slower. The more they ask him to do, the less, a- less able he is to actually do it. And I see this as a problem with him just running a full playbook at NFL level. I don't think he's up to speed in it. And I think as much as the I'm going to run now is because stuff is breaking down, I think it's also a thing that is an easier option for him. It's why so many college QBs do it and can't translate to the NFL. If you are an athlete, you can get yourself out of situations like that. You don't need to be as good at the cerebral elements of the quarterbacking. And I think that's something that he's lacking. And the way that this team has built itself around his his physicality has lent itself to him not developing that side of his game correctly. I think if he is to succeed, and I, I agree to an extent with Dave, I think he could succeed somewhere else, but I think he'd need to go somewhere else and sit for a year, a year and a half, learn how to play football with his head, not his legs, and then take it on from that approach. I think he essentially needs to break down everything he's learned technique-wise and approach to quarterbacking and start afresh. Because I think he has the ability, but he's spent three years learning to play it in a way that is not conducive to the modern-day NFL. We talked about how the pistol was a gimmick that kind of got over overshadowed eventually. I think the problem is he's still stuck in that mindset, and that needs to be broken well, I've heard Washington looking for a new uh, scout team safety if he's looking to change teams. So. <laughs> oh, God. That would be phenomenal. Okay, now we've got a final question came in from, uh, from my brother, Owen. Uh, this one is, so we hear that Matt Forte is now on the trading block for the right offer. Who do you think would possibly go for him, who already fit, and what might it take to, to, to pry him from the dying hands of the Chicago Bears corpse? I might have added the last bit in myself. <laughs> um, I'm going to say Colts. I mean, the Colts could do with weapons Probably. at all. It would definitely be their fir- their best first round pick trade for a running back of recent times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, once bitten, twice shy, so maybe they wouldn't give up a first round. Would, they, would it take a first round to get like, rid of it? Would it take a first round to get an aging running back? Well, this is the question because I think there's I think there's two years left on his current deal, and it's not a particularly difficult deal. It's not it's not a, it's not an Adrian Peterson we're paying you instead of a, a, a quarterback style of a deal, and we're talking about a running back who <laughs> has the most touches of any running back last year and was very productive on them as well. But yeah, like I suppose, what do we actually think it will take to to to, to get your hands on Forte? 
would it be a first round pick? Would it be a first round and a fifth round? Or would it be like a pair of seconds? I think, honestly, it depends how deep Chicago are going with this fire sale that they seem to be mm. teetering on the brink of. And, I mean, if it comes down to it, it might be a case of if they're offered, you know, a couple of second rounders or a second rounder or a third rounder, they take it because it's the best they can get and they yeah. just want to rebuild. As to where I see him going, I don't know if it's particularly likely, but I think the best landing spot for him or a team that would really want to land him would be the Tennessee Titans. I think right now they have no run game. Um, Sankey hasn't panned out. Dexter McCluster is... He's Dexter McCluster. Yeah. Very situational player. And they don't, like, Cobb has shown flashes of potential, but, you know, is he going to be ready when he's going to be on he's on IR to return? How good is he going to be at that level? How long is it going to take him to settle in? I don't know. Having a veteran guy like Forte who really can do everything yeah. would be huge, particularly with a rookie running, a rookie quarterback behind a average at best O-line. Yeah. That would make a huge difference to them. Give Mariota not only you know the option to take the pressure off him because it's more run, but also give him a guy who is just fantastic in the short passing game. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that'd be the same reason I think the Colts are doing just because I think Andrew Luck needs someone to just have this whole to check down to <laughs> just because he's getting sacked. <laughs> so just oh, poor uh, Andrew. I feel sorry for poor Andrew. Ah, it's it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I I've got a slightly different idea for a landing spot for him. Uh, it's a team that have shown that they are interested in in picking up a, a veteran running back because they think it would make a big difference they are more than happy to get involved in trades and they would love the press it would bring them and it's a team that's in dire need of something reliable to help them through the next couple of weeks I think the Dallas Cowboys would be a fantastic shout for people who might actually go after them they've been looking to get a running back that will work behind that line effectively they were very adamant and vocal about their pursuit of Adrian Peterson during the summer as well they see the value in the position. They've got a great O-line there to block form, and they're in dire need of a bit of offensive power to get them through the next couple of weeks. I could see them as being a, a people who would be in the mix. I think that's interesting as well because uh, the check down, their checkdown guy, Lance Dunbar, has uh, obliterated his knee this week. Yeah, his ACL and his, uh, his LCL or his PCL. Mm. No, MCL, sorry, ACL and MCL tear. Yeah, he's so, like he's gone. Yeah, Forte would be, would be useful at low. I don't know what you're doing when you're already paying... 17 running backs and throwing another one onto the roster that's true but for, like, for, the, yeah. for the most part those are, those are deals that aren't massive in terms of money and they can get out of them relatively quickly and you know yourself Jerry Jones is the kind of fellow who has no problem paying a player he'll work it he'll, he'll sign him to a 7 year deal and then cut him after 2 just so we can spread the cap number around you know, Jerry really wants a really wants a ring. <laughs> yeah, but is he gonna waste picks that he could be using to trade for Johnny Manziel? So I want to know. Uh, is bring him back to his spiritual home. Johnny football. Jeez, that's a, that's his dream. Texas forever. Johnny football and then Adrian Peterson behind him. That'll be amazing, or horrendous. I'm not sure which. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, we might we might have a look at that a little bit more in depth if more information comes out about what what they're looking for trade wise for him next week. Um, but yeah, that's great. Thanks very much, guys. Keep those questions coming in, okay? Now, we're just going to have a quick look now at uh, the upcoming games for next week. Uh, we've got, again, quite a consensus on a number of the games, and we've got three that we're kind of slightly divided on. I'm going to do a quick run-through, uh, a couple of the ones we're all in agreement on, and uh, like if you guys want to just fire in with a line or whatever about why you think it's the case. Uh, first one up, uh, Buffalo at Tennessee. We've all taken Buffalo here in this game. Uh, why is that, Harry? Yeah, just obviously a bit of a wobble last week for Buffalo, but I think their defense is just good enough to overpower Tennessee. Fair enough. Uh, this was by accident that I uh, ended up doing this, but uh, Cleveland at Baltimore, we've all picked Baltimore. Please explain Dave. Uh, it's just because Cleveland aren't good, basically. And yeah, that's enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, Chicago at Kansas City, we've all taken Kansas City. Um, I'll do this one so I like Kansas City they're not playing particularly well but Chicago are playing worse also Chicago are trying to get rid of all their players yeah God knows we might actually you know, not be playing against Forte and stuff next week uh, although I'd say it's hardly going to happen in the next two or three days Seattle at Cincinnati uh, one that I suppose at the start of the season we'd all be surprised by we've all taken Cincinnati in this game uh, Harry? Yeah well I mean I really like what we've seen so far from Cincinnati and Seattle have at no point put in a good offensive performance uh, the game is in, you know, they're going to be away from their stadium for this one, and I just don't know where they beat Cincinnati. No, of course, of course. Coming off a great result last week against the Cardinals, St. Louis travel on the road to Green Bay, but the juggernaut's going to stop there. We've all taken Green Bay. Why is that? Aaron Rodgers. That's a fair point. Aaron Rodgers, well said. Uh, succinct. 
Uh, Jacksonville at Tampa Bay. We've all taken Jacksonville. Woo! Let's go Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, basically they seem to have a bit of a pass game going now. TJ Eldon is doing enough on the on the run game. Uh, as they say in uh, in Jacksonville, raise your bordles. Uh, Washington at Atlanta. We've all taken Atlanta. Why are the Falcons uh, such a powerhouse in this game? If Atlanta don't get about five turnovers in this game, I will be surprised. Simple as that. That makes perfect sense. Arizona at Detroit. We've all taken Arizona. Detroit don't look very good. Their defense is probably pretty strong, but I think uh, the Cardinals have got enough about them to see them off. And then the de- Detroit offense is just appalling. And like Arizona, like the Cards have a pretty good um, defensive back core, and I think that will will not play right into Matt Saffold's hands. I think Matt Saffold will play right into their hands. I think is exactly how that's going to work. But um. Tsh- Next game, uh, New England at Dallas. We've all taken New England here. Well, basically, yeah, the, the Tom Brady, fuck you all, I hate you, uh, why do you want my phone comeback revenge tour, tour is on. And uh, Dallas, I told you not to trust the random meeting to Lance Dunbar connection. See what happens? He's fucking got no legs, right? Dallas don't have a leg to stand on, nor does Lance Dunbar. Uh, Denver at Oakland, we're all taking Denver. Harry? Yeah, look, Oakland have shown promise, but if you can't get past Chicago's defense, you're sure as hell not getting past Denver's. Perfect. Uh, San Francisco at the New York Giants. Uh, why are we taking the New York Giants? Because we spent 10 minutes explaining why San Francisco are completely other fucking shambles. <laughs> That's fair enough. I would say that we did contend at the many, many weeks along that New York Giants are such a terrible team that they could probably count their win on one of JPP's hands after the end of the season. So, That's still the case, but the San Francisco 49ers are still a point. Well, one and a quarter thumbs up. Uh, let's move on to the picks. So, the ones that we find contentious. Indianapolis at Houston. I've taken Indianapolis and Harry's taken Indianapolis. Dave has taken Houston. Yeah, I think Indianapolis are still looking kind of edgy. Their offense is not that good. And I think that J.J. Watt's going to do wreck. I think that will mean that Luke has no time to throw to his absolutely appalling receiving core. They don't have much of a run game. And their defense is not particularly anything special. So, I think that will what will happen also Clowney is looking good as well like Clowney Clowney is looking a lot uh, quite quite good this season I must say he's never getting any of the coverage because Watts always you know getting all the media coverage but yeah uh, I would I would disagree with you on the on the Indianapolis wide receiver core I think they've got enough in there to deal with what is a relatively poor secondary from Houston uh, I would say Houston still don't really know who's going to be their their quarterback they've swapped again they might swap again in the middle of this game at some point uh, God knows they might put JJ Watt in a quarterback for the for the crack, uh, like I, I think this is going to be a hard fought game, but I think the Colts are going to come in and deliver. Uh, Harry, yeah, there are certainly problems with Indianapolis. I think we discussed them at great length through the last few weeks. But equally, a team we haven't talked about a huge amount. Houston have pretty much all of the same problems and no quarterback, and that I think is is the difference. I think even Watt and Clowney have been playing reasonably well and they're getting pressure. I think they're the only players who've been playing reasonably well. The backfield has struggled. Jonathan Joseph looked. Like he's he's basically lost it. They've nobody else back there really, and on offense, they're like Aaron Foster came back and really really struggled. So yeah. there are problems with the O line. There are problems with how, like how did Houston actually get a foothold in this game? Yeah, and I think Indy have just enough about them just to see them off. Do we think Foster is going to do anything in this game, or is he back probably too early from this injury? Like I think he'll he'll we've seen improvement from last week, but I think that it's not just a question of Foster. I think it's a question of the O line play being poor as well, and. You know, the Indianapolis have one of the best run-stuffing middle linebackers in, in the league. So Perfect. That was a legit question. I'm going to take him out of my uh, my fantasy lineup. So, New Orleans and Philadelphia. I've taken Philadelphia, and you two boys have taken New Orleans. Uh, okay, I suppose I'll start with you guys. What what What's made you think that the Saints are going to deliver? I think having, having Breeze back makes a big difference. There are still significant problems for New Orleans, but there are even bigger ones in Philly. And even with the defensive backfield being a mess for New Orleans, I don't know if Philly have receivers who can really exploit that. Philly's defensive backfield is also a total mess. Byron Maxwell has been absolutely appalling this season. And Nolan Carroll has been terrible. And I couldn't name another defensive back on that team. <laughs> I remember in the, in the fourth week of preseason, they were still trying to work out. They were playing like one of the guys was potentially going to be their starting safety because they didn't know who their second safety was in the fourth week of preseason. I think for me this is a battle of like two teams with, with problems. I think what you're looking at is New Orleans have I think a slightly better run game. Uh, I think we saw CJ Spiller is back, I think as we yeah. saw last week. 
They have a, and they have a better quarterback in Drew Brees. So I think that's going to be enough to give them the edge against Philly. Fair yeah. enough. They'll just control time possession. It's like, yeah, basically, they got beaten by Washington. And the way Washington beat them was by getting controlling time possession and exhausting their terrible defense. So I think you'll see New Orleans have better weapons than Washington did, I think, to control time possession. And I think you could see him do, like, was it Washington 41 minutes time possession? Yeah. I think you could see, like, 45 New Orleans. And then, like, there's, there's just not enough time to score, run up a score. And also, your defense is going to be wrecked. So, I don't know. I think that they're... I, I, I don't see... Phil, I, I think Philly have a philosophical problem that the NFL's figured them out. I think that New Orleans... Surely, surely, they're not so incompetent that they can't do that. Fair enough. I think they are possibly incompetent enough to do that uh, and so I picked Philadelphia I think I think Chip Kelly's going to feel the fact that like the hot seat's on he's going to need to change things up he's going to look at the fact that they got success by using Ryan Matthews instead of uh, instead of their other backs trying to get someone into a full on rhythm rather than constant rotation I think that's going to help them a lot in the run game help them equalise up the time of possession a bit more I think they're going to rely less on the passing game in this even though I think New Orleans have one of the worst backfields you talked about how poor the the, 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 the Philadelphia backfield is we were discussing two weeks ago that moment where the New Orleans Saints players were 10 yards away from the player catching the ball looking in the wrong direction swinging thinking the ball was about to land in their in their hands like this is a terrible team and I hate it because I always enjoyed the New Orleans Saints I was like the, the, the I was like Drew Brees and that stuff but they're terrible this year and I think Philadelphia for fear of car batteries raining down upon them <laughs> are going to deliver at home uh, our final game car of batteries uh, yeah I'm pressing a smuggle into the stadium now <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure like they've just given up because if like it's just it's a scenario of escalation. Like people are very annoyed at Chip Kelly. The only thing bigger than a D battery is a car battery. Well, this there, there was a game of Italian football uh, where there was a riot a few years ago, uh, as there tends to be, and uh, the lads went out into a into the car park and found a, a Vespa and uh, threw that off the hot tub and <laughs> stayed down. So you know there is something bigger than a car battery. There is, there is. Uh, good God! But yeah, no, I can, I can, I can very much imagine uh, Philadelphia getting this through through fear alone. Um, our final game that we need to look at that we've got a bit of disagreement on is Pittsburgh at the San Diego Superchargers. Uh, once again, it's me on my own. I'm taking Pittsburgh, and you boys are taking San Diego. Uh, explain yourselves. Well, look, I'm quite close on this one. Me too. Um, I think I think it was going to be close, but in recently, I think we've seen a San Diego team that is getting a little more used to what it can be good at with the players that has available to it, and with the problems it has in the O line. Where to see a Pittsburgh team. But has, in that game, showed that it hasn't adapted. And I think the big thing, there's two big, two big things here, uh, and th- is that, that I think Pittsburgh are going to be slightly slower doing that because there's new, new, big new piece in there. And it's how you adapt to that. Whereas San Diego was like, okay, the other one isn't. We still got Phil Rose, still got Danny Woodard, still got Kinnell. I think to me, the critical thing that swings for San Diego for me is Antonio Gates is going to be back. Philip Rivers looks so much more comfortable when he's got that guy he can throw to. Uh, somebody who has a really good connection with him, he knows he's that safety blanket, he knows he's under pressure, it's going to be there for him to dump the ball to. Did, I think did, that did, makes... did you know he played basketball? I <laughs> I know, it's amazing. Next to be Tony, Jimmy Graham did. Mad. God, no, not a chance. But yeah, no, I, think that, I, think, I think for me that's the, that's the critical difference in a close game, is that Philip Rivers has his safety blanket back, and a guy who is not only a safety blanket, but also a phenomenal player and a guy who's going to be able to prove a point after suspension it's a, it just is the way it's phrased it sounds kind of like I think my big boy's going to survive the sleepover tonight because he's got his safety blanket <laughs> well Sunday are a bit like that in fairness <laughs> Dave what about yourself uh, I think Phil Rivers is a very good quarterback I think Michael Vick was a very good quarterback but he's not what Pittsburgh needs right now and I think he's past his best I think the Pittsburgh defence is awful and I think Phil Rivers will shred them okay fair enough uh, my rationale for this is uh, I think San Diego are a good team but they're weak beyond their starters I think they've got seven or eight injuries coming out of the last game so they're missing pieces on O-line which I think will help a struggling Pittsburgh team they're missing their cornerbacks hopefully one or two of them are back but as it stands they're going to be weak in that position I think Pittsburgh get back Bryant this week which is a huge boon because as they still had beforehand it was essentially just either throw it at Brown or run it with Bell. I think this will either draw coverage off Brown and make him more open for them, or else it'll mean that they've got a second option Brian to pass the ball to. I think Bell had an excellent game last week and is going to have a stormer this week against what I think is not a great San Diego run stop. Uh, I think this is a scenario where it will be close. I think the game this week that Pittsburgh lost 
uh, they would have won if they had a kicker who could do his goddamn job. I would expect by the time they get there on Sunday to have a different kicker in place so they could actually kick the odd football between the posts. Uh, so they're not going to have, you know, fourth and ten trying to run sweeps with the quarterback. I think the weapons are going to be better enough for them to do enough against a San Diego team, which I think isn't as strong as people think it is and is suffering quite badly from the, from the injuries that it's had. But like I said, I agree with you guys. I think it's going to be very close, and this was a tough one to call for myself as well. But I, I just think, think Pittsburgh has your I think they're yeah. all tough enough to call, to be honest. I think those three were the ones that they're the ones I had to think about a bit. Although maybe Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, I had to think about a bit. But I'm not, I think they mm. were the tough. I think they're going to be closest games of the week. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think so. Yeah. Um, I just really hope that Pittsburgh run that play again where they pitch the ball to Antonio Brown and he runs sideways 15 yards. Yeah. That was great stuff. <laughs> that was a bit strange, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, any other NFL stuff? Like, I, I had a bit of fun. Uh, when we were watching the game here uh, on Sunday, I joined Twitter for the first time uh, just so we could tweet questions at the really, really inane BBC coverage of the, uh, of the London game. Uh, who spent a good eight minutes in the middle of the day discussing the toilet habits of uh, football players because they wanted to discuss the toilet paper stuff about the Jets. Well, you know, the Jets did wipe the floor with them. Well, that's coming from a Browns fan. Uh, yeah, it is weird. I, I, you know, I, I did enjoy that the BBC felt the need to send into 15 minutes of rugby coverage oh, yeah. by bringing Mike Tindall as an NFL analyst. Who, who, then, who then proceeded to say, these are very different games. I don't know why you're talking rugby yeah, with it's me. It's like the Channel 4 had Brian Moore into it. And they didn't have him in 15 minutes. They didn't have him for a whole game once. And it was just bizarre. And just people tweeting questions to Brian Moore being like, oh, what American football position do you think you'd have been good at? And he'd be like, well, none of them, because I tried a complete different game. This is completely different. And they get another question like, what NFL position would a rugby player be good at? And he'd just be like, please. Oh, stop. I had a, I, I've sent a total of three tweets so far. I am I am clearly uh, as the thing said legit on Twitter um, because thank, th- thanks to the fantasticness of Twitter bots, I am now being followed by the fans of an ESPN sports show who liked my question. Uh, and also by a Kansas City-based uh, food delivery company, just in case I really want to order uh, order out. You can order food to the train facility for your you know, heroes. I'm not going to lie, I don't think Andy Reid needs any more food. <laughs> what Andy Reid needs to do right now is stop calling plays, just give that over. Oh God, if we don't, if we don't beat Chicago, it's going to be a sad time. A very sad time. I think, I think you'll be alright. I hope so. Jesus Christ. But hey, if we don't, it'll be a really shit London game. Woo! Oh, it'd be great. <laughs> Two teams fighting to avoid going on 16 in class. Oh, God. Well, I mean, oh, I can't say about it. Yeah, yeah. We've won again. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. Detroit will be fighting to not have another own 16 season, and you'll be fighting just to again, not be yeah. interested. Detroit will have another, another own 16 season. Imagine if they had an own 16 season before another team managed to have an own 16 season. It would be really impressive, but but because of that call in the Seattle game, someone will have an asterisk next to it, so it won't count. Yeah, fair enough. I suppose, guys, thanks very much. Uh, thanks for listening. Like we say, sending questions if you've got any questions, uh, sending comments if you've got any comments, and uh, if you've got any complaints, fuck off. Uh, we'll chat to you next week. Goodbye.